Hello listeners and welcome to the Chosen Brew podcast. This is the podcast where guests talk their way through the six beers that changed everything. As always, I'm your host, Ian McNally, and this is a really interesting episode because it's a bit self-indulgent because this is a person who got me into home brewing and opened my eyes in terms of tasting beer for faults and um, really showing me the importance of quality of ingredients in beer as well. This guest is also in a really interesting spot in terms he's, he's just on the precipice of moving from avid home brewer to professional. So I've caught him at a really interesting time here. This is the first interview we've done over the phone as well at the Chosen Brew. It's my good friend from Little Shed Brewing, which may change its name, and we may need your help to think of a good name for the brewery. This is Neil Smith, and he has a much better Liverpool accent than me. Let's get into it. Well, welcome to The Chosen Brew, Neil Smith. Now, I've been trying to get you on the show for a long time now, Neil, because you actually were the person who got me into home brewing, and uh, my wife is very happy about that. Uh, so sure. uh, you all. <laughs> so first off, hello, or should I say good day, because I'm actually calling you from Australia, but you've moved back to Ormskirk. Tell us what Ormskirk is. Ormskirk's, uh, um, well, first of all, hello. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, so it's morning for me. It's, it's evening for you, isn't it? Um, so I'm having a coffee. You're having a beer. I'm slightly jealous. Um, <laughs> I'm sure go. the coffee um, in so, Ormskirk is as good as Melbourne. You'd be joking. Uh, yeah, the coffee <laughs> is terrible. But that, that's another story. Um, yeah, so uh, Ormskirk's just an old sort of like, I don't know, medieval town or something out about 10 miles north of Liverpool and about 10 miles south of Southport, if that means anything to anyone. Um, it's in the northwest uh, of England, it's in Lancashire, uh, just kind of on the border of Merseyside, if people know that. And it's kind of, yeah. it's an agricultural market town, isn't it? It is, yeah. You know more about it than me. But then again, you <laughs> went to college here, didn't you? So, I did so you know, to college, you know yourself, yeah. yeah. So we met, we, we, me and my wife, we moved over to uh, Melbourne in 2009. Um, and we met uh, Ian at a, a social event, but it also turned out that he was the cousin of my best man. Um, so, so Ian's part of a, 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 a rich clan of um, of uh, McNally's in, in in Liverpool. Yeah, and, I kind uh, of feel yeah. like I'm almost related to everyone in Liverpool, and that's why I had to move. So <laughs> that's why I had to find an Australian wife, just someone I wasn't related to. So. But we actually met in Young and Jackson, the iconic Melbourne pub. Uh, and oh. we met by chance because uh, I was just ordering a drink and I think your wife, Michelle, just uh, overheard my accents and we began talking. And it turns out that I was born where you grew up and I grew up where your wife was born. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you say um, a bit more of a sort of like more... Um... What's the word? Salubrious upbringing than I did. <laughs> it's very true. I can't argue. <laughs> I've heard some of the stories of you growing up. So, but um, we're here to talk about beer. So, first off, tell us about how you first got into beer and why beer's been such an important part of your life. So, 
B is a bit of a funny one actually, and and um, you you had a podcast a couple of podcasts back with a friend, a mutual friend of ours called Ian, Ian McLean, and he he was quite rightly pointed out that when when I first moved to Australia, I was a lager drinker, and um, my knowledge of beer was not that good, pretty poor actually, and and that that stems all the way back to to when I first started drinking in my t- when I was a teenager. Um, I remember I, I I absolutely just didn't like beer. Um, and I remember when you know when you when you're kind of like about 15 or something like that, and you first start kind of getting into drinking alcohol and stuff. Um, we, everyone, you know, we'd have like parties or whatever, you know, uh, and we'd all buy drink. And I would, and I remember buying something called Kestrel Super Strength because it was nine percent, because I thought it was better because it was nine percent as opposed to something being four percent and i couldn't even drink the i couldn't even drink the can it was foul it was absolutely foul i've since found out it's really for the the alcoholics who stand around on street corners um they kind of buy that stuff because it gives them that hit that they want first thing in the morning kind of thing and um so but as a kind of you know my early kind of drinking career I, i i used to drink shorts you know like vodka and coke and and um, something called steamboats, which is Southern Comfort Lime and Lemonade, you know, really sweet and sugary. And I didn't, you know, I, I, I can't even smell the stuff now, never mind drink it. Um, but that's kind of what I um, I used to drink. And then I forced myself to like lager. And I, I used to drink lager a lot. Um, and I remember chatting with someone one time and he we were talking about a pub and he went, oh, I'll go to this pub because they have good beer there. And I didn't know what he meant. Because I just assumed that all beer tastes the same, and it was just, you know, <laughs> it was that stuff that I made myself like. You know, I quite literally used to, really used to drink it until eventually I, I started to appreciate it. Um, and um, and then it was really like when I was in my late twenties. I think I got like a, a bad case of gastritis, and you know, where you just kind of, no matter what you eat, you just feel a little bit sick. And I, 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 I lager just didn't do for me. It was too gassy. So I, I, I think I, I moved on to. Um, Tetley's or John Smith's, you know, that kind of like creamy, low alcohol, uh, ailey type mass produced stuff. And I, and I, st- I stopped drinking lag and I gone into that and I gone into Guinness. Um, and then fast forward a few more years until my mid 30s, I went to America. I worked there for a few months and, um, and I got back into lager because you couldn't really get like, well, I didn't notice there was a craft brewing scene, but I was in West Virginia and knew the pubs that we were going to didn't do craft ale i didn't know anything about it um and that was um and i and i kind of got into drinking like kind of mass-produced cheap lager again and then dial a couple of years later i moved to australia and again i i was drinking i think it was like two e's and and vb and all this kind of stuff really just the real nasty cheap stuff um and then we met someone, it was a mutual friend of ours from England, had, had gone traveling around the world and then met this couple in Vietnam who lived in Melbourne around the corner from where we lived um, in Chapel Street. And um, they, um, they introduced us and he, made, he was a chemist and he made beer. But he made it from a can. And he wasn't very good, actually. He was really terrible at it. But it kind of, <laughs> his beer, it tasted like homebrew, if that makes sense. Um, and so, um, dialing back, I'd always kind of been a bit interested about making beer, making alcohol as a, something as a kid, just as you, you know, one of those kind of children who just like to tinker and break things and put, try and put them back together and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'd always fascinated by beer making my uncle Walter. He used to make it and stuff. And so I was kind of like piqued my interest and he, he kind of 
um, gave me a bit of a steer on, on places to go. And um, there was um, a homebrew shop, not not the grain and grape. There's another one um, that mostly dealt with um, extract as opposed to, um, or, or, you know, using the raw ingredients. And I can't remember where it was now. It was up in uh, Richmond, I think it was. Um, I think it's still and, there. Um, it's on Church Street. Yeah, I think... Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's there's a couple of them dotted around Melbourne, if I remember correctly, and um, and and I, I tried making a few beers. They just weren't very good. I didn't have the setup, and I didn't have the knowledge. And then dial, so I packed it in, and and then about a year or so later, I um I met someone at a fret a party in McLean, and he talked about it in the podcast where about we bonded over someone who was being racist and some other stuff. We also bonded over the fact that um Hunter S. Thompson, he was his um, favorite um, author. Um, and he called his son Hunter. And and when I was in film school, my scriptwriting teacher was the scriptwriter for the Terry Gilliam film of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. So that was another thing that we we we, uh, we we kind of bonded over, which he didn't mention. So I'll just add that to the story. Um, he obviously made beer, but he did it from scratch. And he sort of like kind of we we, we agreed to to make a beer together, and it was a I think it was an oatmeal stout. I can't remember, or a pale ale. I can't remember. Or um, anyway, but either way, he kind of just gave me those little that little push and a steer and and that kind of um, um, inside knowledge that I needed just to get me started on the road of homebrew and and making homebrew. Just then, really, just ignited my interest in, in beer. Um, I started getting into drinking ales, moved away from lagers, and then I I, I saw kind of went from knowing nothing, drinking crap, to being a, a beer snob, you know, in the space of like a few months. <laughs> I've tried to be stop, you know, it's a few years down the line now and hopefully I'm no longer that, you know, you know, um, little information is a dangerous thing kind of thing. Um, and I'm, hopefully I'm not a snob anymore, but I'm sure I probably am. I think anyway, that's... that was a really, really long explanation to a very short question. <laughs> well, that's what podcasting is for, isn't it? It's the long form, so you can really express yourself and get things out. So, uh, you uh, went to college in London. What year was that around? Was that kind of uh, ninety-four. Ninety-four. So, 94. what was the pub scene like in London at the time? And what were you? Students. What are you? Tra- well, yeah. Well, so this is what I'm interested in. Bar, wasn't it? It was Heineken. I remember it. It was foul. You could only drink so many things, but it was a pound. And I lived in London, and London's expensive, so you just put up, shut up, and drank it. You know. So, <laughs> so, so but the, saying, the, I mean, we could we could talk we could talk endlessly about uh, drinking in, in London. I mean, there was a there was a place that we used to go to called uh, Venus Videos, and it was uh, it was one of these kinds of like speakeasies where you know it's like. Um, it was like a, a porn shop that sold videos, and you'd go there after hours at like two in the morning. You'd, you'd knock on the door, and someone would like pull a little thing back and go, "Yeah," and you go, "Can we go downstairs, please?" And you go downstairs, and it would just be like this cellar with like holes in the wall and uh, a table with cans and cans and cans of of beer that was like imported from like um, Calais or something like that, and you would you'd pay like a premium or like three pounds a can, but which back in the mid nineties was really expensive, but it was open and it was you know, and it was like two three in the morning, so you wouldn't complain even though it cost you a fortune. It's also so the that's romance, about the story it? we're telling. Isn't but it, it wasn't just, about the beer, it was about the drink, I suppose. It's just romantic though, isn't it, about being in like a speakeasy place. It's like you're paying a premium just for tell that story in thirty years' time. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh 
That's great. So where are you up to today with the with the brew? And obviously, when you, it was when you were in Australia that you got switched on to home brew, and then you took it up quite seriously, quite quickly, and then you moved back to the UK. So what what where you're up to now with your with your beer setup? So we're 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 kind of in the um, initial steps of maybe setting up a small commercial brewery in in the garden. Um, we've got quite a big garden; it's about a fifth of an acre. Um, and so we've got the space to actually, you know, uh, build a structure um, and set up a brewery, probably one barrel, which I think is around about um, 164 litres. So it's not big. Um, uh, the one thing in Britain is they're still on the old imperial system. We, we kind of have a mixture of both the imperial and the metric system. We might not so last I'm, longer in Britain with the Brexit. Might just go whole imperial. Uh, I, 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 yeah, yeah, quite. Well, anyway, we, we that's another go. podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll get political. Um, but like, um, yeah, it, it's really weird because when I, um, there's kind of a bit of a backstory to it as well. I, I just came back to the UK. I had a kegerator, which is a bit like you know turning up with a shiny new thing. Um, the, you can buy them now, but only just. But like for the last five years, it was like I was like the only person who had one, and then um, people were building them, and now you can actually buy them. The kind of pre-made kegerator with the little tower and the taps on them and stuff. Well, really, kegerators um, just weren't a thing in the UK. That's it, only like five was, years ago, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, people you get people who are going online and seeing how they were getting done in, like, say, the States and stuff and building them themselves. But in terms of buying a kind of pre-made one, which is what I did when I bought mine from the Grain and Grape, they just weren't available, but they are now. There's a shop that's there's an online shop that sells them for about five hundred quid. Um, but so you, you know, with this the sort of like um, I, I felt like the UK was playing catch up to the to um, to the states and to Australia in terms of homebrew. But um, but it, it's it's really getting there now. Um, I mean, I go to a homebrew club and some of the stuff that the guys are doing is is outstanding and quite impressive. Um, but when I first came back, I was a bit taken taken aback by how much it was still stuck in the past and people, you know, the, the homebrew shops were still doing like, you know, cans and, um, you know, that was kind of how the homebrew system was working. And I had to, I, I do buy all my um, ingredients online and stuff, but now um, it's, it's really caught up, really caught up. Is it true to say that the UK system is kind of operating on a, a two stream, one, one that didn't exist in Australia and didn't really exist in America either, which is the, the existence of cask ale, the existence of real ale. So whereas in Australia you just had the the big guys doing mass-produced kind of lager and the odd stout and the odd wheat beer or whatever, and then craft came along and was just completely different. In the UK, you you had the, the in-between cask ale and real ale, which possibly slowed down the, the, the craft be a scene to begin with maybe because when people are looking something different from the big guys they would just jump onto real ale and that was an availability which didn't exist in america or or australia is is that true to kind of say that you know you don't like the mainstream stuff so you jump on the real ale and then because camera is so strong those real ale drinkers have had a hard time kind of jumping over to what's called craft beer is that fair to say? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean it, it's a difficult one. I mean, there's more breweries now in the UK than has been since the war, right? So there's been that massive ups, upswing of, of explosion of that kind of craft 
in you know beer industry kind of thing um you know it, it's safe to say that you know the real ale thing has probably been that like little shine and light that kind of cut through it all since about the 60s up until about you know the the early 2000s so there's just been you know you there's been those kind of pubs that you could go to and you'd have like proper beer as opposed to a tetley's or you know a carling or a um you know or a whatever um kind of thing um but again i'm not a beer historian so i can't really comment and i'll probably be just coming out with some assumptions in it um i think what you're saying probably probably makes sense i think it's probably about right um from a from a sort of like homebrew perspective i think that the 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 legacy of homebrew is probably held homebrewing back a bit uh, and what i mean by that is when i when i go into a shop um i i if i want to get like i'm gonna i'm just gonna be a little bit techy now about beer making if i want to get like crystal 20 lover bond or crystal 40 lover bond I, I'm, it's not going to happen i'll either get crystal Cara Red or Crystal Dark, right? That's it. There's a book called Brew Your Own British Real Ale, so you can buy it in Australia. And that just has, you know, in the recipes, crystal malt. And it, it really is just not, there's just not level of granularity in, in ingredients that you get in those kinds of things. And I had the conversation with the with the guy who run the shop, and he was a nice fella. Um, and he was going, if you want a darker crystal, use this. If you want a lighter crystal, and for me, I was like, no, if I want to use, you know, crystal 20 lover bonds i want to use crystal 20 lover bonds i don't want to have to i think but that's just me being you know um awkward and difficult so but you know um and i think there's probably an element of truth of what he says um but so there's that kind of legacy thing of just you know just like really simple ingredients of cans and just really not much choice in yeast and not much choice in um hops and the hops would be held kept out on the shelf um, they wouldn't be stored in the fridge, which I kind of didn't like. Um, and that's changing now anyway. But anyway, yeah, I can, um, I'm going off. I'm going off on one. Is it also true that the legacy of homebrew in the UK, and probably true of, of anywhere, was that it was always sold on being cheap? So like it's yes. all, it, like I remember some ad campaigns um, for homebrew, which was like it's going to cost you two pence a pint to make or whatever you know yeah. by the time you've, yeah. you've gone through everything so it was actually done on value and not on quality or not on taste it was always just kind of just make it in the bathtub and who cares what it tastes like because only you know two p a pint or whatever it is is that you true? know yeah I, you, you, no you're, you're absolutely bob on and, and there's always been a, th- a thing about qual- uh, quantity over quality in, in the uk especially when it comes to food um you know, um, we, we we could talk about this for hours. This is why I wanted you on the podcast because we'd talk for hours. We're we've got to, we're here to talk to your six beers that changed everything for you. I'm kind of interested in your beer journey. We've gone through a, a, quite a bit of it already, particularly with that you know drinking history in terms of obviously cost, just being a student, and then moving through going to the US and then Australia and then back to Britain. So. Start us off. What is your first beer that changed everything for you? Guinness. You know, I listen to your podcast, and it's there's a you know for my list, there's a bunch of them that do kind of pop up occasionally. I think if you were to chart them, you know, you'd see certain beers that that, that a lot of people uh, mention, and 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 Guinness is there for me. That was the, you know, that was the, um, you know, 
the one that really sticks in my mind, and I still occasionally do drink Guinness. You know, if I go into a pub with some friends and it, all they're doing is just got commercial stuff, there's no kind of decent beers there. Um, then Guinness is that kind of go-to um, um, place uh, beer. But I think it was, you know, it's that kind of, you know, when you when you kind of transition from, you know, mass-produced lagers onto maybe other types of beers, potentially ales and stuff. I, like I say, I used to drink things like um, uh, Tetley's and, and John Smith's and, and, and a bunch of other those kind of mass-produced, you know, those the stuff where they have that nitro and CO2 mix kind of thing in it, you know, which you, you do see. And, I, and I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure I've seen some of them in Australia, definitely John Smith's mm. and Boddington's. Um, but Guinness is the one that actually I kind of, that became my go-to beer if I went into a pub that's what I would get, Guinness. I would drink Guinness. And I, and I, especially when I went to Ireland, I used to love the Guinness in Ireland. And, um, and one thing I've, I've noticed, the further away you get from Ireland, the crapper the Guinness is. I don't know if there's any kind of, you know, if that's just a purely anecdotal thing or there's any any evidence to support that. But, um, you know, um, I, Guinness in Ireland is different to Guinness in the UK. And I know they used to have it brewed in London and they used to have a brewed in Nigeria and then eventually there was a big marketing campaign that the Guinness was going to get brewed in in um, in Dublin but the, I never noticed a difference in the flavour and I don't know if that was whether or not it, it, me I just had a really rubbish palate or um, or there was no difference I, I, and I don't know what makes Guinness in Ireland different to Guinness not in Ireland but um, I, I, you know I absolutely agree because and again you don't know whether it is kind of just psychological but when I've been over to Dublin and had the Guinness there, even in Northern Ireland, it, it's just, it's a different drink. And then you can get an okay version in, in Liverpool, which is just over the, the Irish Sea, obviously about 50 miles away. But then when you move down south, it's just kind of changes. I don't know why that is. But when did you first have a Guinness? Oh, I would have been in my 20s, I think, if I remember I, I, I can't remember the, the exact time and day or anything like that. I just remember that um, <clears throat> I, I stopped drinking lager and I started trying the other drinks. And it was it was actually a kind of a, an interesting period for me because I actually was being a bit creative and trying the different beers. And I still didn't like the fact that beer was warm. Um, and that's only something that's really changed for me in the last like five years. Um, I'm, go, I'm going off on one here, but like um, uh, I, I remember trying different um, beers and stuff. And I remember going into this pub in Kirby called The Railway. And it's a proper old man's pub. And I don't know if your you listeners know what that, I mean by that, but it, it'd just be, you know, it'd be like some old geezers, like, you know, proper old timers sitting there with like a half a Guinness or something or, or, or whatever. And they would just be nursing it, that beer and, and playing dominoes or something with one of their kind of old friends and that and um there was a mild and i tried the mild and it was it was so disgusting it was warm it was flat uh it had I, and i couldn't finish it and i <laughs> my kind of experimenting into different types of beers stopped dead you know what i mean i stopped doing it and i just kind of settled in on guinness and I just feel like we just that was it. I wouldn't try it anymore because it was such a kind of shocking experience. <laughs> so mild to the, well to the Australian listener. But I love a mild now. Well, mild, mild is now. a completely different thing because obviously Coopers do a mild ale, which is kind of like it's not a mild. No, it's, it's not, not a mild. It's called mild. And so, but even in the south of England, you can't get a mild. It's very localized, isn't it? 
in terms of it's a it's a it's a mostly a midlands from my understanding it's mostly a midlands thing uh even like the you know the black country kind of thing um uh, yeah, that's so kind of my understanding of it a little bit you do get it i mean when i first moved back to the uk after in australia um and I went to the pub on my own. I, I popped out for a bit um, and it was winter and I was dead excited. I was having a really cold winter. It was like, I mean, it was about like minus one or something like that. And went into some pub and I had a fire on and all this. And it's like, oh, you're all, all the things that you the, you miss when, you, when you're living overseas. And, um, and they had Thwaites Mild. And I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> and I bought it. And I, I just, I, I, it just kind of kind of sticks in my memory of just being just really just so excited just being in my element just having this pint of uh of miles which is like the opposite of experience of my first ever um miles which i just didn't i just didn't appreciate i wasn't expecting what i got back then and that was that was the reality of it there's nothing wrong with the beer it was me um, and yeah, i just well, didn't know what a mild was my cousin described mild because i was drinking mild when i was 18 which is unusual for a, a young, younger man to be drinking a, uh, shall we say, a mature man's drink. And uh, my cousin was giving me a bit of stick about it, and he said, it when I had mild, it tastes like someone's got all the drip trays and just poured them into one one glass. Yeah, I can go <laughs> with that. Drink. <laughs> so right, so we, I suppose we kind of got onto mild, because it's not that far away from Guinness, is it, mild, in terms of its That's texture, in terms of its uh, kind yeah. of nuttiness and a nice, yeah, like, dark colour. and there's two, two different types of milds. So you get, like, a kind of dark milds, and then there's a not-so-dark milds kind of thing. And, um, I mean, yeah... I, I'm not a beer historian by any stretch of the imagination, so I'm probably wise off the mark with some of my assessments. But um, I, yeah, so I know there's like kind of yeah, just going, just going. Yeah, so I won't, I won't talk about Miles too much because I'll probably die on my ass. But um, you actually got me into Miles because I remember just chatting about when I was first tentative steps of uh, beer making, and you went Miles like that, and I went oh. A miles, actually. I, I think, and I made, and that's when I very first made a miles, and I actually quite enjoyed it. And I think um, Ian mentioned it in the other podcast, but it was you who actually put that little little spark of uh, thought in my head. Um, oh, that's good because I actually did have that mild. It was very, very good, and just a great beer to have in the Australian summer as well. Like, it makes yeah, a and lot it's of no sense. Alcoholic- Proper, you know, lawnmower beer. You know, if it's like three point two percent or something like that, it's uh, it's happy days. All right, choice two: Aussie beer, little creatures, pale ale. Yeah. So once I started getting my head around beers and stuff, and and all the whole wonderful world of, of uh, you know craft ales and stuff, little creatures was just I just thought that was awesome. And uh, you know, when I was coming up with this list, it was a it was a toss up between this and, and Sierra Nevada. And again, this is another one that's popped up on a few of your podcasts, Little Creatures. It's just, it's just a fantastic example of a, of a, you know, of a kind of a, you know, an American pale ale. Um, you know, it, it, it was delicious, and it really, I, I think that if there's a, if there was a beer that kind of switched me on to craft beer, that's Little Creatures. That was the one that kind of like the little light bulb went off in my head. Ah, I didn't know this existed. This is delicious. I really like this. I think um, Little Creatures particularly was so successful because of the landscape at the time was was 
not great, was it? I mean, you came to Australia 2009, the same year I did. And when I got here, I was kind of like, I'm, I've got to go home because the beer selection is, is no good. And then little creatures started appearing and it was really special at the time because there was just nothing like it that you could get readily available, was there? No, no. Well, I, I, to be honest, I don't know because I was just drinking two E's or something like that beforehand. So, uh, <laughs> well, so, I, are you, I remember you tell so me a story. I remember you tell me a story about when you went back to the UK and went to Edinburgh and saw a little creatures in the fridge. And you asked the barman how much it was, and it was actually cheaper in Edinburgh than what it was in Australia. Correct. Yeah, yeah. It was it was three pounds. So that was about four. That was about um, the exchange rate was pretty strong as well back then. So that was around about four and a half dollars, five dollars. And if I bought a little creatures in Melbourne, I was paying seven. Don't you, you know? love capitalism, mate? <laughs> so, choice three. Um, Samuel Smith's oatmeal stout. Um, I and I was ch- turned on to this in 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 Melbourne, actually not in the UK. Um, I drank it more than Australian. I did in the UK. Um, there was a a bottle shop just at the bottom. Um, it, I lived in um, Newport, um, just by the train station. There was a a bottle shop, and they used to sell Samuel Smiths. Um, it was about five dollars a bottle in in there. It's just delicious. It was just a really really strong. Uh, example of a stout, you know, if you, if you was to put that next to a Guinness, it would just blow Guinness out of the water every day, every day of the week. It's just fabulous. Um, I don't. It's it's re- really really strange, weird, quirk. You know, quirk of how markets um, work. But it's easier to buy. It was easier for me to buy Samuel Smith's oatmeal stout in Melbourne than it is in Ormskirk. In fact, you can't <laughs> buy it in Ormskirk. <laughs> you know, um, and. There's, I've also got one um, further down um, the list, you know, um, which I'll talk about later. Um, you know, it was I could buy it easier in Melbourne than I could in the UK. Not now, you can get it in the supermarkets and stuff. But yeah, um, it's just a really, really quality. And I love Samuel Smiths. If I see a Samuel Smiths anywhere, I buy it. They're one of my favourite breweries. I think they're absolutely fantastic. From my understanding of it, they don't advertise. Um, they they have a really weird sort of like selling policy so it's really difficult it's, I find it difficult to get hold of anything by Samuel Smiths and, and um, someone's told me that this is, I work in Manchester and someone's told me that there's a Samuel Smiths pub in Manchester I need to go and just sort of like you know just go into you know a Samuel Smiths kind of gasm if, if you want <laughs> <laughs> and never be seen again <laughs> never be seen again don't drive I'll get the train <laughs> well you can get the you get the Draymon on the horseback you could uh, get a lift home <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> well we're halfway through your uh, your six beers that changed everything we've got the Guinness little creatures and uh, Samuel Smiths so um, choice four you asked me a question about uh, where I was at with my brewing. Um, yeah, so so, um, so where you're in terms of you're obviously passionate home brewer in Australia. You've moved back to the UK. You've delved into home brewing in the UK. You're thinking about your commercial setup. What does that look like? And have you have you got a business plan together? And are you kind of looking at other businesses around, thinking, do we replicate this or? What what else is around? What's your ambition in terms of you know scaling up from homebrew so, up to a commercial setup? So business plan no, because we're not looking to borrow any money. 
Um, and I, I know that's I, I know I've just probably you, you probably have listeners going, what's he talking about? But um, we've so probably we had a few a people who numbers people who've just jumped out the window. <laughs> I've got no business. <laughs> lad. I don't know what he's talking about. No, I, I haven't put one together, but I will be putting one together. Um, we're not looking to borrow any money, and one of the reasons we're doing it in the garden um, is because we've got the space. Um, and the, the the sort of like the the, the plan in my mind's eye because it's still getting formed is that we set up a one-barrel brewery in the garden as a proof of concept, um, build up recipes, do all that kind of stuff, um, slowly build up um, um, a, you know, reputation. Um, and um, Because we, we talked about doing gypsy brewing, basically where you don't own a brewery and you just go dot around to all different breweries and you use their equipment and then sell a beer. Yeah, it's um, very common in Melbourne, definitely, and some people have been yeah. hugely successful gypsy brewing. Just didn't seem right for me. I felt like I wanted to do... It's one thing brewing for you, yourself and your friends and your family when there's no... You know, there's no real concern about quality. If it's rubbish, you throw it away. It's another thing when you've got to do that from a commercial perspective. You, you've just really got to up your game on everything. Um, and so I don't want to just have like a little homebrew set up at home to um, formulate recipes and then suddenly go to commercial brewery and, and, and upscale to there. It just didn't seem right for me to do that. I, I, I think, you know, having a small little one-barrel brewery um there's no rent what we lose on economy and scale we gain by the fact that we don't have any rent do um you know there's a, there's a lot of small kind of there's like micro pubs i don't know if you've heard of that there's a thing that's springing up around the country called micro pubs and the tiny little pubs that don't have like kind of unusual opening hours they may open up like a cafe so they don't open up in the evening and things like that um and you don't sell food. It's quite literally just a place where you buy beer and you drink down, you go. Um, I think um, they, The Guardian did a really good article of the rise yeah. of the micropub maybe a year or so ago. So I'll put that in the show notes for any listeners who are interested because it, it's uh, quite a fascinating idea. And I, I don't know whether it's really happened in Australia yet. So maybe it could be inspired. But obviously there's the problems of regulation and governments and local council and things to yeah, get over. Yeah, yeah. Each country has their own sort of like taxing and things and stuff like that. So uh, I can't... So, But anyway, um, there's a lot of these kind of non, uh, you know, small little pubs that are, are, are popping up in, in places and stuff and and you, you you go there and you can see all the like... Um, you can see all the kegs, plastic kegs from... Um, uh, you know, craft brewers, small craft brewers, and there's a guy who I chat with who met through um, the homebrew club, and he he has a a one hundred litre brewery and stuff, and I've been trying to pick his brains on on things and stuff, and so you know, there's there's opportunities out there. It's more of a case of get the brewery set up, get brewing, get a get get some recipes that I'm confident with, and then really just kind of pushing out and then building up that reputation. If things take off from there. Um, and then we can look to either upscale or potentially do um, gypsy brewing. I don't really know. We haven't really thought that far ahead. It's really, 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 really early doors at the um, moment. We're still in the planning application because we, even though we're doing it in the garden, we still have to do a planning application mm. because to make sure that everything, you know, because uh, they may say, no, you can't do it. It's change of use and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So in terms of uh, recipes for ideas, what are you, have you got a plan for like a flagship beer? to begin with and then a progress from there yeah um so 
from from my understanding, a lot of the kind of small kind of nano micro brewery type things is it's usually about like just experimentation and and um, doing like weird and wonderful beers. But I'm not really about that. I've never have been. Um, so for me, I, I want to do like um, you know a couple of really good stock beers, and then you know as a kind of basis, and then push out from there um, and then experiment a little bit more. Like I, I was in a pub not long ago and I, I tried a, a coffee pale ale and it was absolutely delicious. And I, I, for me, I just thought those two things wouldn't mix because coffee, just just coffee wouldn't go with a pale ale. That's just crazy talk. And it, But it was absolutely delicious because it was so subtle, just that little hint of coffee um, with the pale ale, nice hoppy kind of American style pale ale. And it just went together so well. And it kind of, I was like, wow, it was kind of, that's just amazing. That's the kind of stuff that I would like to do. And so, yeah, so I think what um, the plan is to really focus and lock down a really quality kind of distinctive pale ale. I'm not really into big beers. I'm not going to do a 7% IPA. I just, it's not for me. Um, in fact, I'm kind of more the, in the opposite direction. I'm really interested in low alcohol beers, um, you know, around about the 3% mark. I think I think there's a market for it, if I'll be brutally honest. I could die on my arse on this one, but I, I really do. Um, I think everyone's kind of like, it, it frustrates me when I go into a pub and the the, the lowest alcohol pub beer they have is, is 4% or 4.5%. And it's like, well, if I'm driving, you know, that's no good to me. I, I you know, I... I'll, you know, I can usually have a beer if I'm driving, and but only if it's a lower, lower, you know, a lower sort of like thing, um, you know, um, like three point two or something like that. That I feel like I, I can justify that if I have one, but if it's four percent, I can't. I'll just have a half or, or not bother, um, you know. So it's, um, um, you know, I, I, I'm not only that. I think, um, you know, there's that whole thing. I think they did in in, in France where it was, um, um drink less, drink better. And that really sings to me. That I, I, it really chimes with me. I think uh, I would rather have a really well-produced, fabulous beer around about 3 4% that's got bags of flavour, uh, really good, but it's not a stupid alcoholic content. Um, and I think it's, you know, um, and so that's kind of really where I'll, I'll be coming in, at, I think, around around that kind of um, 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 sort of like area if for one phrase but it's interesting what it, i i haven't actually spoke about it but um the reason that we are actually doing a brewery was um a friend of ours she's um she's a a location um scout or something for tv programs and she sent me a, a link on facebook saying apply for this and it was it was a company um who wanted people who did artisan foods to apply um so i applied as a, as a home brewer and they 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 interviewed me and stuff. We'd like you to be on the TV program. It's a bit like, you know, Bake Off, but for food. And I got all the way down the line to the point where I actually signed a contract to be on the program. And they were lovely. They were really nice. They were going, we think you're fabulous. It's, it's great. You should apply to be on the TV program because they say the most <laughs> nicest things. And I was, you know, and it's just, like, it was, it's just like being wrapped in a warm blanket of compliments. It was fantastic. And um, But I ended up having to pull out because the, one of the elements of the program was that it had to be sold. And so it was one thing producing something and having um, judges taste it, but it's another thing when the commit the you know um, the general public have to um, um, to purchase it, which is which which was a key component of the TV TV program. And um, 
and I, to be honest, if I be brutally honest, I didn't have a clue on how to set myself up commercially from my garden. And um, and uh, I, I was chatting with the, um, you know, the health people, you know, the food safety people. And they gave me this big, long list of things that I had to have. Um, like I had to have two sinks. And bear in mind, my, my shed where I brew in is, is 10 by 8 feet. So it's really, <laughs> you know, it's really small. I had to have two sinks. In it, and it, eventually it just became, it, it became impossible to, to do it in the time that I had. It was about three or four weeks. And so I had to pull out and I was a bit gutted. But from that, um, both me and my wife, um, she, we were just like, you know what, maybe we should do this. Maybe, you know, this has given us a little impetus to actually um, actually be on uh, to, to do this from a, um, a commercial perspective. So, so that, that was it. Yeah, um, you might just need to move your mic down a little bit again. I think just getting a couple, yeah, getting a bit of, it's just breath. Oh, <laughs> are we editing this out? Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, no, like, oh, we'll edit this bit where I say move your mind. <laughs> you know the bit when I was talking about drinking beer and driving oh, as well. I think those two that conversation doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> well, it works very well just in Australia. Oh, yeah. No, but anyway. Yeah. Um, choice four. Um. I'm sure I'm pronouncing this correct, but I could be wrong. It's called in edit or in edit. It's um, it's all oh, right. I'm having a I'm having a brain freeze at the moment. But it's I I, I was introduced to it by a chef in Melbourne, uh, who was a mutual friend of our mutual friend, Ian McLean, um, and it was it was is, is that John Paul Estrella Estrella. You know Estrella, the company that does damn. Estrella? Yeah, Jean-Paul, yes, you're correct. Yes, it is Jean-Paul. Um, um, he turned up with a bottle of in edit. Uh, that's how he mentioned it to me. Um, I always said in edit because I don't have um, very good grasp of foreign languages. Well, despite um, your Spanish heritage, you, yeah, I know, yeah, <laughs> you're masquerading yeah. your home yeah. countries. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, so that that was like a, it was like a, a, a bottle. It was a lager. I think they used some coriander. It's got like a, a a bit of a phenolic finish on it and stuff. And and it it was designed to be paired with food. Um, and it's got quite a nice clean um, uh, flavour to it. You can you can actually buy it here now. You couldn't for a while, um, but I do see it popping up now. There's like um, a Spanish deli in, in Liverpool city centre, and they sell it. And um, and as uh, and, a, and a, a number of other places, but it, it, you know, it, for me, it was just a case of like that was like a little bit of a signal to say that you know, if you've got a, um, um, a restaurant um, as famous as El Bully that was going out and developing a beer with a big, um, you know, brewery um, to to create something new and to to change people's perception, you know. I, um, because people still, and it's, there's still that legacy here um, of wine is pairs better with food than beer does. And I've spoken to, you know, um, I, I spoke to uh, a sommelier and they were like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not too sure about that. But then there's obviously that book by um, the Brewmaster's Table by the uh, head, head brewer of um, uh, what's a Brooklyn brewery. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Um, and he, he just waxes lyrical about how you can pair food and beer with food and how it's better because it's got all the, the you know, uh, it, it goes better with cheese, it goes better with chocolates and, and things or whatever. Um, uh, obviously, it's it's his side of the story. You know, you just have to take his opinion that everything he says is is, 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 
is accurate, um, and I'm sure it is. But it, it, it's it still thinks that that this really is that whole legacy thing of of, of wine being the go-to thing uh, with beer. And we went um, the first time in my life. We went for my wife's ber- uh, birthday. We went to a one Michelin star restaurant, and and I don't drink wine. Um, it doesn't agree with me. It just it, it, it's too yeah it just doesn't agree i just feel like rubbish if i drink wine so uh I, I i stick to beer and so i i i went in there and i said i don't want to um drink wine i want to pair it with um beer and i, I you could see the look on the um <laughs> on the guy's face a little bit you know what i mean and you could just see that it was almost like um you know it was just that bit of snobbery that was there and i, I was you know i i kind of laid back i'm not gonna let it bother me and that kind of thing but it's it's a bit like i felt like just saying you know what mates give it a shot you might be surprised it might go better than you think kind of thing but uh did he you kind know, of that... you would do wonder whether he just thought this guy just wants me to bear everything with a carton draft you know yeah <laughs> you know what that said though when we sat down and the the waiter who, who attended to she was brilliant and she really um paid like every meal she went like you know what you may want to try this and she got it spot on and it was good but there oh, you go. excellent and was that a, a restaurant in melbourne no it's in it's in Ormskirk, believe it or not oh wow yeah 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 so it opened up about um about 12 months ago and then six months later it got its first um michelin star um mana mana do you know what? My memory is going. It's uh, <laughs> too much low strength beer. Google, if you're interested, Google restaurants. Uh, one Michelin star restaurant. In Oscar, I'll, you'll, I'll uh, put it. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, oh, that's it. M double O R. Yeah. So, um, yeah. No, it was good. It was. It was a really good experience. Bloody expensive though. <laughs> That's what happens when you ask for bespoke uh, tastings for me. No, it's, it's a good day. We had a really good day. Choice five. Innocent Gun Original. So, you, you, you know, that we, we, we were just chatting about little creatures when we were in um, Edinburgh. Um, so I came back um, um, for a, a month's holiday to the UK when I was living in Australia. And your cousin, my best friend, we went as a little, little break. We, we took our families up to uh, Edinburgh for a few days um, um, just to hang out and stuff. And and I was dead excited. I was like, I'd, I'd, I discovered this world of beer and, and I knew Stephen was a, um, a, a lager drinker just like me. And I was like, you know, I was going to turn him on to, to beer, you know, just in the same way that I had and stuff. And I became that person. And um, and we went into this place and, it was, and I was going, oh, this little creature, this is the beer, this is the one I was telling you about and all this kind of stuff. And then a little bit later on in the evening, we went into this place and, we were just, and I was just like scanning around for these other beers. And there was this thing called Innocent Gun. And we got a a bottle of each and it was just you know it was something i'd never tasted before you know a kind of oaked beer um kind uh, thing and and it, that was you you know if you were to ask like Stephen, what you know with six beers that would be in his in his thing that was his eureka moment in terms of drinking non-lager kind of beers and stuff now, um it, it's it's really quite interesting actually because um i i tried to do a clone of innocent gun and and I did a lot of reading about it, and and I, I read about the company, and I, I I was so it just became so cynical how that beer became about, um you know where it was basically they were just company um where they are, oh, right um they were basically this company, um who um were asked to um to um age 
um, some barrels with beer so that the company could then use those barrels and then they were throwing the beer away. And, wow. um, and the people who were drinking, the, the people who were supposed to be throwing it away were drinking the beer saying it was fabulous. And so the guy was like, hang on a minute. And that was how it came about. Do you know what I mean? And then they came up with this whole, they came up with the brands. It's, now that I'm trying to set up a brewery, I've realized the importance of brands and it's not so cynical after all. But at the time I was reading it, I was going, this is so cynical. Because they basically came up with a, a brand and then made the beer to fit the brand. Do you know what I mean? And I just thought like that was just so rubbish. But I, now I've, I've since realized that that's actually the right thing to do that's the correct way to go about it. <laughs> you know what i mean it runs um, very very important and stuff um and um yeah and uh, you know so that that was that and uh, I, I to be perfectly honest i don't really drink it anymore i don't really like it uh, anymore but at the time i thought it was fantastic is it a bit gimmicky or what there was a time i re- used to really like it i used to get it in australia and then i just kind of tired of it i think after a while and um and now i just kind of it's, it's just not for me um but you know i all power to them for what they did and stuff um but but when i i, I like i say i was i was trying to clone one one time and i was doing a reading up on it and and i went on the website and and things and and uh they they it obviously like when they first started off they were aging it in barrels and then as they take off you buy them in supermarkets and everything you know i used to buy it in melbourne um and then so obviously they, they probably don't age them in in um, barrels anymore and they use old chips and they had something called we developed and devised the ochreator and you you know and you just when i read it my eyes just rolled you just thought that's just a load of bollocks isn't it eh? <laughs> <laughs> they've just come up with something to keep down costs to improve uh, and to increase production and they've just given it some like bollocks name um you know greater than that. And i kind of and a little bit a little bit of the whole mystique because i you know i genuinely thought right that it was some um and i'm really sorry i don't i really don't mean to, to, to dish the company and i'm sure that they've, they're a really good company and, and and things but um um you know i i thought that they were old um scottish uh, brewery or something had been gone for years and and, and it hadn't it, it was just it was just kind of this you know some, some businessman had this kind of like serendipitous moments and realized that there was a market for something and they and they they did really good job of exploiting that and good you know power to them um and they do really well and they sell it all over the places and and i'm sure that you know um you know really hats off to them for doing such a fantastic job you know i suppose and they they saw a gap and they and they they seized it yeah it's fair to say though that they kind of they do market themselves as an old ye oldy worldy kind of brand and the bottling <laughs> and the labels and everything so yeah i'm not too sorry for them but uh <laughs> choice six two brothers growler american brown ale right i had to i had to actually bring up my notes there so i could uh <laughs> remember the actual proper name um so that's an aussie beer melbourne beer I just, it's marabin yeah yeah it's just fantastic i, I i'm I, i'm absolutely gutted that i can't um I, I can't get at it no more and i actually emailed them for a, a recipe so i could clone it and they never responded to my email and i was Gutted. Well, maybe this is where the power of podcasting comes in. Maybe we can because two, two brothers has it's been on the podcast before, and um, it's definitely we talked about it with Will Zabel about how they kind of fly under the radar a bit when because they've been around for a, longer than a lot of the craft brewers, so they didn't come with that excitement of being new and flashy. But they they run a really tight ship, and the beers are, are really top notch. 
that's if there's one beer I'd take away from my time and Melbourne is the one that was just stood up head and shoulders above all the others is, is that one. I just thought it was such a fantastic beer. It was so delicious and I was a bit of a bore because when I used to go into a pub and if they had it, that was it. I'd drink that. Uh, I'd just lock onto it. And, um, you know, I, 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 I've done other kind of American brown ales and, you know, there's that kind of Janet Brown one that you get, you know, from the... Uh, the Broom with classic styles book and stuff, and I think that's kind of like a, a almost like a flagship one. And I've, I've tried others, and I do variations of my own, and I play around with different stuff and all that. But never in my mind's eye as good as that one. Um, and I think it's just absolutely delicious. I just loved it. Oh well, that is high praise indeed, and really nice that you finished on the two brothers because you were actually born in Melbourne. Correct. Yes, and so is my daughter. You were born in Melbourne, but. You know, you got your stuff together quite early on, didn't you, in your life plan and moved back to the UK pretty quickly, didn't you? I was three months old when I moved back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't have much of a choice. It was taken out of my hands to be perfectly like, just exact. My daughter was six months old when we moved back to the UK. So, um, so but that entitled you to an Australian passport and... Uh, a UK passport as well, and and it does. And, and Charlotte, yeah, and my daughter. So, is the door open for you to come back to Australia at any point and uh, experience uh, the scene? Because it's quite. Uh, di- we, when we, did we, you we, when did when did you go back to we the left UK? 2013. Um, so it w- won't be any time soon. I imagine my daughter may have the same curiosity as I did uh, when she grows up because she was born there. And she may end up moving in, and then we'll be those those grandparents that follow the kids over. That's probably what's going to happen, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> so tell us about the uh, receptacle you're going to drink these beers out of. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a tulip glass. Um, I, I I I do love a good tulip glass. I mean, I, I've actually got a miles on at the moment, so I'm drinking uh, out of a pint glass with a miles. Um, but um, but. Uh, more often than not, I have um, tulip glasses. I've got. I, I bought a bunch of crystal ones, you know, being posh and all that, you know, um, um, and it, you know, there's like about half a pint, and, and they're just lovely. I just, pref- I just prefer to, to drink. I it just seems to make the, the experience more pleasurable. Yeah, most definitely. And um, the ultimate beer snack, chicken skin, right? <laughs> it sounds no, you like know, you just you know, insulted me. <laughs> No, 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 no. Well, you're a vegetarian, aren't you? Yeah, so you'll, you'll never know the delights of having chicken skin. But the, um, I, the, the Melbourne Beer Week uh, is in my birthday. Mel- Melbourne Beer Week is in May, my birthday week, which is just fabulous. And when one, one birthday, my, Michelle, my wife, she took us to um, a restaurant in Carlton, I think it was, or something. Um, and they had they were matching beer with food. And I didn't know this, honest to God, this is how bad my um, beer knowledge was back then. Ken Grossman was doing, um, you know, from Sierra Nevada. He got up and did a talk and then stood next to me chatting to someone else. And I didn't have a clue who he was. And I didn't even say hello to him or nothing. (laughs) It's only later that I've learned who he was. You know, that's just how poor my knowledge was back then. Um, Um. you know, so chicken skin is the go-to. They, for... yeah, sorry, I, I completely digressed. But on the table at that that um, that beer event, um, they had like little bowls of of um, chicken skin that was, you know, um, 
baked and stuff with salt on it. So it's like pork scratchings, which is an English thing um, on there. And it was just absolutely delicious. And and if I ever like, um, if I ever have to do stuff with my chicken thighs and I have to take the skin off, I actually then um, turn them into chicken skin and, and give them out. And, and everyone's sitting there cursing me, but thanking me at the same time because it's di- <laughs> absolutely delicious. But you just know it's just not right. <laughs> there is also a joy of uh, hearing someone with your accent say the word chicken. Yeah. <laughs> lots and lots of times. Hopefully we'll get Ken Garosman on the podcast at one point, And I'm sure he'll remember the moment where the Englishman blanked him at the, uh, <laughs> the Good Beer Week in Melbourne. So, um, so you introduced me to Bruges News podcast. Yes. Way, way back when... And we actually went to uh, the Bruges News pod- live podcast at the Great Northern uh, Hotel. And yes. when we went there, Charlie Barnforth was talking. And yes. I remember uh, coming back from the, the the men's room and saying to you, oh, I've just had a wee next to Charlie Barnforth. And your fa- you did look quite jealous. <laughs> I, was, I was gutted. I was, I was genuinely gutted. I should have went over to him and just said hello to him. Because he's only from up just up the road from, from where, where, where I live and stuff. And I never. And I was gutted. And There's two, two missed opportunities jealous. there, isn't there? Two massive opportunities missed. So Ken Grossman, Charlie Barnford, hopefully future guests on the podcast. But um, Neil, you've been a great guest on the podcast. And thanks very much for taking us through your chosen six beers that changed everything your chosen brew and also your your chicken skin <laughs> so uh, where go. can people find you online and you obviously you're thinking about starting up this commercial setup in, uh, your, in your garden uh, so where should people follow not, you there's there's no way to follow at the moment because we're still this is how early doors we are we still haven't even got a name um so originally we were going to be little shed brewery but then on hindsight that was just crap <laughs> um, and I'd, I'd actually got the website name, you know, like littleshedbrewery.co.uk, and I thought, although there's nothing there, I was just kind of locking all the names down. And then, then as I started doing more reading and stuff, I realised that as a brand, it was pretty poor. Um, and so we're still kind of trying to come up with a brand. But that just goes to show just how early on in the process we are. Well, maybe I'm going to throw this out to the listeners. If we can come up with a name for a new brewery in Neil's garden then, you know, definitely write in and uh, oh, someone email. Oh, with a name, I'd love it, I'd love it. Yeah, that would be fantastic. That'd be great, that'd because be obviously, yeah, yeah. Neil, you don't sound like an Australian, but you clearly are. And uh, <laughs> and you'd de- you, you need to draw on that Australian heritage. You've also got Spanish heritage there, so maybe we can make something happen. I'm sure our listeners are very creative bunch, though. Uh, let's get on to it but Neil thanks very much for being uh, on the Chosen Brew and uh, great to take you through those six beers that changed everything thank you very much it's a pleasure so that was it Neil Smith from Brewing Company who we need to get a name for so definitely send in your suggestions and great for Neil to take us through his beer journey as well and really interesting that Neil was one of those kind of died on the wool lager drinkers who had his eyes open to craft beer and 
has not looked back ever since. So a couple of interesting things coming up as well. If you're heading to the Ballarat Beer Festival on the 20th of January, I'll see you there. Make sure you say hello. I will might even wear the Chosen Brew uh, t-shirt. There is only one in existence. Uh, so if you see someone wearing it, it's me. Um I'll also be uh, going along to the 100th episode of the Ale of a Time podcast, uh, Stomping Ground, which is taking place later in the month as well. So that should be a lot of fun as Dave and Luke bring in their 100th episode. I, meanwhile, will be bringing in the 20th episode next. And I've got a really exciting guest. So keep liking on Facebook, sharing with your friends. We're growing every episode. I really appreciate all the help. Rate on iTunes. Uh, You can rate it on Facebook. Uh, Follow on Instagram and Twitter. And send us a message. Always good to have a chat. And if you're at Ballarat uh, Beer Festival, um, definitely we'll have a chat uh, over a beer. Might see you on the train up from Melbourne. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's always a pleasure to talk. Drink responsibly. And try and drink locally too. See you next time on The Chosen Brew.